I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listen as my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Money Expresso. How are you doing in these unsettling times? If, like me, today you feel in need of optimism and hope, my guest will blow you away. I chat with an incredibly inspiring woman. She's a serial entrepreneur, author, TEDx speaker, and founder of Leaders Quest and co-leader of Future Stewards. That woman is Lindsay Levin. Lindsay tells me about her fascination with people, leadership, and travel, and how she combined that fascination with a burning desire or a, a feeling that she needed to use her business skills to help businesses do and be better. She created the not-for-profit Leaders Quest to help her with this mission. Lindsay has sat with prisoners on death row, worked with community leaders in the slums of Mumbai and brokered talks between Israelis and Palestinians. She sees leaders in everybody. She beautifully describes our shared humanity and the thread, the invisible thread as she calls it, that binds us all together. Lindsay has seen at first hand the impact of climate change, which inspired her to co-lead the launch of Future Stewards alongside Christiana Figueres after the Paris Climate Agreement in 2016. In this role, she spearheaded the launch of TED Countdown, a global partnership to accelerate solutions to the climate crisis. If you're looking to be inspired, this is the episode for you. Lindsay, it's an absolute delight to have you join me on Money Expresso today. Welcome. Thanks, Ruth. It's a real pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. Oh, yes, me too. I mean, I'm really mindful that there are so many things I could ask you about, Lindsay, and um, um, I'm, time is going to be tight. So maybe we could just kick off with you just giving me a little bit of a nutshell about your journey to co-founding, sorry, founding Leaders Quest and co-leading the launch of Future Stewards. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm a very entrepreneurial spirit. So I, my early career was involved in a family business in the car industry. I ended up um, as a CEO of, of the business and starting several others at a, at a very young age. And all the ups and downs and lessons that go with that. And, and through it all, I guess a, a constant theme for me was a deep interest in people um, a deep curiosity about people from different backgrounds and different walks of life. And in my spare time, whenever I could, I traveled. Um, I was one of those, you know, youth backpackers who who would kind of put on a backpack and go to different parts of the world whenever I could. And I had learned a great deal from being with people in different countries and different cultures and from very different circumstances. Um, and as I got deeper into my sort of business journey as an entrepreneur, um, I felt as if I wanted to help people 
learn and to think more deeply about leadership and, and actually some of the big questions, you know, why are we here and how do I live a purposeful life and how do I want to really spend the, the precious time and resources that I have? And I came to the idea of inviting people to come with me on, on what I called quests, to come on these journeys, in the belief that by introducing people, connecting people to all kinds of different experiences and different communities, they would be changed by that in the same way that I'd be changed. It's, it's kind of eye-opening. It's really about expanding your own horizons. And, and I would say expanding your circle of empathy, seeing the connection, seeing what we share with people, um, you know, even from other parts of the world or just from the other part of our own, you know, the other side of our own city. So anyway, to cut a long story short, I started these programs called Quests. I, at the time I was running another company. So this was a kind of project on the side and it really took off. Um, I started to build a team. Then businesses started to come to us and say, would you do one of your quests for my leadership team? We're struggling with our purpose or we want to better understand you know, different markets. At the time, we were doing programs in China and India and parts of Africa and Latin America. Um, and, and the thing grew. Um, and, and we, you know, deeply developed. In order to do what we do, you need to build relationships with people all over the world so that when you come on a visit, when you come on a quest, you've got amazing people to meet and engage with. So, you know, we grew this extraordinary network of relationships all over the world. Um, and part of the design of what we do is to spend time, you know, if you're doing a quest in Nairobi in Kenya or in London, you know, in the UK for that matter, we, we look for who are inspiring people. They might be business people, entrepreneurs, innovators, scientists, but they may also be social leaders, community leaders, people working, you know, in homeless communities or in healthcare or, um, you know, in education in places where, where you know, education really sucks. And we would, you know, build relationships with these people and then spend time visiting them on the ground. And that meant that we developed an extraordinary network of friendships all over the world. But it also meant that we got exposed to difficult problems, difficult issues, and, and you pretty quickly pick up on some of the big themes that are going on in our, you know, across the world. And one of those is climate and all the sort of plan what I call planetary boundary issues you know the issues or the, the challenge that we human beings have really overstepped the mark in terms of our impact on the earth and, and we're, we're now faced with the extraordinary consequences of that and that then led me to found a new collaboration called Future Stewards which, which I can tell you a bit more about in a moment but I'll pause there because I know I've, mm. I've shared a lot. Yeah, there is a lot to take in there, and it's it's an incredible journey. I mean, I, you know, many of us feel that there is, you know, what what is our purpose? What can we do? But for you, Lindsay, the the thing that really strikes home for me is that you actually did something about that. What what was the drive within you to to take that step? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I smile about this, but um, a in my experience, at different points in my life, I've, I've, I've had a sense of change, of, of needing to change, of something being kind of out of whack, out of alignment. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling. It's that, you know, feeling when you know you're not quite on the right path and, and you need to make a shift. 
I call it being in the washing machine because I feel like I'm sort of being tumbled around in a washing machine. And that happened, that happened at the start of Leaders Quest. You know, I was a businesswoman. I was, you know, quite successful. I was confident in business environments and boardrooms and so forth. I built a lot of relationships. But I was also really disturbed by the inequities in the world, by the fact that so many people are left behind. Um, and I felt that business could do better. Business could, and, and, and business, of course, is full of good people. But mm. oftentimes we can be very narrowly focused on a, on a small number of goals and not very thoughtful about our wider impact. And so, it, you know, I was driven by a deep sense of discomfort and urgency and a feeling that I needed to be doing something different. Um, and, and that, and, and I kept exploring that. I actually had a blank sheet of paper in the sort of bottom drawer of my desk. And I would, you know, get it out and write odd words on it. Leadership was was a key word for me. Uh, global was another word because I was thinking very globally about our, you know, in a globalized world where we all around us probably, you know, our listeners look around at the things surrounding you now on your desk or table or wherever you happen to be in your, in your living room. Those those items have come from all over the planet, and there is a thread that that you could draw an invisible thread between each of those items. And people somewhere in the world who harvest those products, you know, grew them, produced them, made the laptop in the factory, whatever it is. Um, and, and those relationships matter. Our understanding of the world, I think, matters. Our understanding of where the things around us come from and who, who was impacted. So it was a troubling question of what am I going to mm -hmm. do? And it needs to be about leadership and it needs to be global. And then eventually the idea just sort of as happens with ideas almost kind of popped into my head overnight. And, and then once that had happened, it felt easier. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to invite some people to come with me on a trip. That was literally the starting point. I would say still today, I mean, you know, we'll come on to talk about the work that we're doing in, in climate. I'm hugely motivated. You know, I see problems and I want, like many other people, I want to make a difference and an impact. I guess, you know, in terms of my own motivation, I am up, I am entrepreneurial. I don't mind taking risks. Um, I, I've got a sort of innate belief that, you know, you can make things happen and get things done. And, you know, if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other, new things happen. So I'm, I'm attracted to that as opposed to fearful of it. Um, and, and I guess the other thing I'd say is that a sense of, of spirit, of deep meaning, of... Um, really what it means to be human permeates the work that, that I do. I'm very interested in philosophy and spirituality. Um, I'm drawn to those kinds of questions. And so, you know, another part of it is, I think we live on this incredibly beautiful planet. Life is an amazing privilege. And I want to make the most of it. You know, you get one shot of it in my view. Um, so, you know, why not? Um, so it's some combination of, of the sort of um, some confidence and risk taking um, and, and actually, you know, what's the worst that can happen? It's probably not as bad as you think, uh, but also a, a sense of, 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 of wonder and joy at life, including being able to walk into and embrace the, the difficult things, which is part of what we do on Quest, because we look at 
suffering sometimes. You know, we, we spend time exploring things that are really hard. Um, and I, I have found that being willing to sort of wake up and look at things rather than hide from them ends up being a much more um, empowering and meaningful way to live. And that's very much embedded in, in, in the work that I do. Yeah, and and uh, you know what what an what an answer to to my question as to your you know, what drove you there, um, where my mind goes, Lindsay, and I have been fortunate enough because I have um, met some of your family um, over the years, and um, your mother and father are wonderful people, and I'm conscious you've recently lost your father, for which I, I you have my um, deepest sympathies. But but tell me about your upbringing and where did this sense of drive and compassion um, come from? Do do you feel that that came from within your family or was that elsewhere? I mean, I think it's a bit of a mixture. Um, I've always felt very, let me call it, plugged into the world. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a naturally empathetic person I mean there's I guess there's genetics to that and there's all sorts of other things you know it's some mixture of nature and nurture um I'm I'm kind of wired that way right in left brain right brain you know world I've I've got probably a strong balance across the two and I I'm quite intuitive so I I read people and I'm interested in people um so some of that feels to me like I'm just wired that way I think Um, And I'm drawn to sort of exploring that side of life. I think you can develop those qualities. Um, It requires a willingness to sort of sometimes actually in a very fast moving world, slow down and be contemplative, um, which we don't probably do enough of. So so I've built some of those practices into how I how I sort of live my life. My my parents in many ways, I mean, probably like many people, I'm incredibly different to my parents in other ways, you know, very similar. But my, my dad is super, or was super entrepreneurial, uh, full of ideas. And I grew up in that atmosphere, you know, from the youngest age, I worked every school holidays and saved money. And you know, I was a teenager, I was out on petrol pumps, you know, pumping gas and um, did all sorts of different jobs, very kind of real world down to earth jobs, which I'm so grateful for and really shaped me. Um, so I, I had that sort of big curiosity and excitement about the world. My father definitely was excited about life, full of joy um, and full of, of enthusiasm for everything and curiosity about everything. So that was that sort of entrepreneurial nature was I was born into that kind of an environment, which was which was wonderful. And then both my parents um, make friends with anybody, you know, they um, and they they don't they never question somebody's background or, you know, they literally can make friends on the street corner, regardless of anybody's um, circumstance and. And they're genuinely interested in people. Um, so that kind of, I would say, complete lack of prejudice about, about mm. others um, and just a natural curiosity. You know, they'd strike up a conversation with people standing in line for goodness knows what. Uh, you know, they've got friends that they met, you know, in sort of on holiday whilst standing in line waiting to get on the plane or something. They're all sorts of friends. Um, and so that, 
that sort of unquestioning curiosity about people and um and and non-judgment actually because that's the other thing i'd say about my parents you know they they not quick to judge people yeah you you paint such a lovely picture there of of um of, of the traits that you picked up from your parents and those that you've developed yourself. I've, I've also um, got a wonderful image of you um, working at uh, your, the petrol station. And, um, and, uh, and, and, and was, you know, it, so it sounded like you had a work ethic from a very early age and uh, you were out earning money. What, what was money like for you growing up? It was always just a means to do something more interesting, right? So, you know, I was very passionate about traveling. And even as a young teenager, I was saving money so that I could go and, and explore. Um, so, you know, in, in I did a, a gap year after school before I went to, went to university. I saved up money for that. When I was at university, every every uh, vacation, I would save money and I would go off and travel. Um, so, you know, it was about, it was a means to go and explore the world, go and learn stuff. Um, and I've never been, I mean, I've never been motivated by accumulating money. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough, you know, to be born into a family where I had a great education, good exposure and good opportunities. And then I've been fortunate in my career to be financially successful. But I have to say, it's not, that's never been my first goal. Um, mm. And I, I really do, including in business, you know, I, I mean, one of the things that's embedded in, in the work that you do is, is actually, I'd studied economics at university. And in many ways, I, my subsequent working life has been about challenging some of the economic thinking that I think has got us collectively as, as, a, as a species into trouble. So, you know, the, the pretty much exclusive for many decades focus on profit from business, shareholder return without regard and without putting a price on social and environmental impact has been quite disastrous. And we, we, I think, are in the midst of needing to course correct that, to evolve our business models, to, I mean, business models, capitalism is always changing and it needs to change again now in substantial ways. So, you know, money, I think, um, it's not something I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about money. I see it as a means to an end. It's a means to be able to do interesting things in, in the world. Of course, um, easy to say if you have enough of it, right? You know, it's, it's, sure. it's, it's um, so, you know, it's, the, it's literally the currency that enables us to, to have the basic things that we need in life and, and to have more than that and to have security and, and so forth. So I appreciate all of that. Um, but I also think that getting disconnected from what is a good life what is happiness? What brings us joy? Um, really, is a mistake. And and one of the things that happens in my work in Leaders Quest is we often have people who come on a quest, come on one of these sort of deep exploratory journeys with us, um, who are in their middle life and really regret what they focused on. You know, it's that classic mm. middle middle life mm. thing of maybe I've been pursuing some of the wrong goals. And, and I think getting the money piece out of out of whack, sort of um, distorted, is one of the things that people 
sometimes end up regretting. So it, it feels to me like you need a, we need each of us to find our own healthy relationship to money and what it what it enables, which I know Ruth is, is one of the things you think deeply about. Mm. I, yeah, I do. And um, it's fascinating to listen to you. I hadn't appreciated you did economics at university, but, but I have heard you speak about um, some of the woes of the way we have behaved um, um, through capitalism over over the years, and um, and you're no doubt familiar with uh, the work of Kate Raworth and yes, the yes. economics. Absolutely fascinating, which which I read on a beach a few years ago, and it went, you know, an idea when it just hits you like a sledgehammer, you just suddenly realise that you you know, our planet cannot cope with the way that we have been doing business and this ability that we have to somehow not take into account the true cost of the goods and services that we produce. Once you start to think about it, that that truth becomes difficult to shake off. Um, and I'd, I'd love to come back and speak a little bit more about that when we maybe speak a little bit about um, the climate. But um, can we talk a bit more about Leaders' Quest? Because I'm absolutely fascinated. I first heard about Leaders' Quest around about the time that I first read your book, Invisible Giants, which I picked up again recently. And it it resonates even more this time than the first time, I have to say. But with Leaders' Quest, am I right in thinking that you've got two two facets to it? You have a... um, the leaders' quest, the, uh, the 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 kind of more business end, where you take um, uh, leadership teams and expose them to people in different parts of the world with different challenges, and then you have the leaders' quest foundation, where you seek to help people in more difficult circumstances. Have I got that right, Lindsay? Yeah, more or less, more or less. So we we. We, our whole structure is actually a social enterprise. So we, our whole structure is a, a, a non-profit, which means we have mm-hmm. to charge fees for what we do and obviously break even or, or yeah. um, you know, make sure we're covering all of our costs. And then we have a US and a UK char- foundation to enable us to receive philanthropic money um, for, for certain philanthropic projects. But And so the span of the work is basically... As you say, we we take individuals, so individuals can come on programs with us, um, typically a five-day program, and then we do a lot of work with companies, and not only companies, actually sometimes also with big institutions and and non-profits, but where we will typically work with leadership teams, maybe a CEO and their team, who are have come to us with some kind of a challenge. It may be around their purpose. You know, a lot of people right now are in the process of thinking, God, how do we embed, uh, you know, environmental and social measures um, and better governance, et cetera, into our business? So it may be, maybe those kinds of questions. It may be, you know, the need to think in a much more stakeholder as opposed to simply shareholder orientated way. It may be culture, how to evolve the culture, appeal to a next generation of employees. Um, it may be about global mindset, complexity, coping with the global world, better understanding other markets and other parts of the world. So companies come to us with, with a set of problems, leadership type problems. Mm. And then we design programs for them, which combine um, uh, experiences with experts and communities. So everything from meeting somebody like a Kate Rayworth or, or you know, climate scientists working on on 
on that particular challenge or um, you know people people from different uh, scientists working on different kinds of breakthroughs or business leaders who have got something very special to share and are doing something extraordinary in their company or innovators or entrepreneurs who are working on new ideas. So we put together that kind of content. And in equal measure, we put together the opportunity to go and meet with leaders who are working on very tough social and environmental issues. So leadership is a common thread. And they might be, you know, to pull some examples here in the US where I live, um, it might be, you know, meeting with organizations working with people who are incarcerated, as you may know, in the US, a very, very high rate of incarceration, many people serving very long sentences, a huge skew towards people of color are being imprisoned for very long sentences. Uh, it, because it's a big theme in the US, and it's a kind of theme of injustice, I would say, that is an example of a subject that we've learned a lot about. I've spent a lot of time uh, actually visiting some of these organizations and spending time in prisons. And it turns out, and I'm just using this one as an example, but there is amazing leadership being demonstrated within the prison system by inmates who have done deep work on themselves, deep change work, and are then working to support their colleagues. So if you take that as a kind of extreme example, you know, I've taken the executive team of some of the world's biggest investment banks into a prison to learn about leadership from people serving on sentences inside prison. And that is the direction of travel of the learning. Huge, huge learning from people in extreme circumstances or people working, you know, uh, in the migrant community or immigrant community or people, um, you know, working with folk who've um, really struggled to get any kind of decent education and really marginalised. So lots of learning by spending time with people in tougher circumstances than most of us, but who have dug really deep and come up with innovative ways of tackling their own problems. Um, and we do that in a very kind of reciprocal way. So giving people the opportunity to meet with uh, others whose circumstances are really different, but then what happens is very quickly you find what you have in common. You know, very quickly, and I can, you know, it always happens in these different situations. We might be out meeting farmers in, you know, rural China or people living in a slum in Nairobi who are, you know, putting in um, water systems for their community. Um, and very quickly, as you start to explore and you learn from them, you learn about their lives and you understand what they're doing, and you understand the kind of leadership and resourcefulness and innovation that's required to do what they're doing you also find the common threads that, you know, we all care about our kids' future, all of us, no matter what the circumstances. You know, we all um, laugh at the same kinds of thoughts. Uh, you know, we all uh, have our up days and our down days. And, and this sort of sense of shared humanity changes how we see ourselves in relationship to everybody else. So I, I sometimes think about our work as being about expanding um, our, our, our circle of humanity, our circle of compassion around us. If you think of sort of drawing an ever-increasing circle around you in terms of who do you care about and, and directly experiencing this, this, the reality that we are all interconnected and all interdependent. And 
we make that real for people in such a way that you cannot help but be inspired to make some little changes in how you interact, how you choose to spend your time, you know, some of the priorities that, that you might that you might choose to focus on. Um, so there's this sort of mutuality between people who you could think of as being conventionally kind of in power because they're running a business or whatever it might be, and people who you might think of as being, you know, very disadvantaged because they're sort of working in extreme circumstances and are kind of left behind or more marginalised communities. And what quickly happens is the barriers come down. We see what we have in common. We see that learning can flow in both directions and that actually you know, in the bigger picture, all of our fate is intertwined. So, you know, one of the reasons I'm very passionate about the environment is that, you know, it doesn't it doesn't see the boundaries that we otherwise see. You know, we all breathe the same air. Um, and whilst poorer people may well be and are more impacted by, by for example, climate change, um, you know, it does touch all of us. And, you know, it's, a, it's an extreme example of, the global commons of things that are resources of resources that that you know we have by virtue of living here on this beautiful planet that we share and that we have to treat as, as shared resources now but also future generations your definition there of or your explanation of how you see leadership as is really kind of totally stopped me in my tracks almost, Lindsay, in as much as most people talk in a very narrow way about leadership, don't, don't they? In the, con- you know, in the context of people who are in charge, in inverted commas. But what I really like and, and can, can see, as you've explained it, is the ability of all to lead no matter what their circumstances. And that's an incredibly powerful notion to come alive to. Um, people lead in different ways from different positions in life, don't they? And you're, you're, you seem to have picked up on the idea of leadership way ahead of the kind of current curve. And um, that's, it's just really fascinating to, to hear. Uh, why, why was that? What, what was it that struck you about leadership as being so important? I think probably seeing a lot of bad leadership. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it it's it's a hell of a thing to have power in, in some way. You know, leadership often includes not always, but often includes power in some form or another. Uh, being in charge of something, having access to resources, is often part of it. And you know, people actually not being very thoughtful about that. I mean, there's a tremendous responsibility. I think leadership needs to be in service of certainly not just in service of yourself, you know, it's, there's a servant capacity to real leadership. And, um, and there's also an incredible power in that, I mean, incredible opportunity to make a difference. So, you know, if you've got, if you've got, the, the, if you're blessed enough to have the opportunity to make a difference, a small or large, it might be a small local role that you've got, it's not going to be grand, but you know, we've all we all have the chance to influence others by the way that we live our lives, by the choices that we make. Um, you know, especially by the sort of follow what I do, not what I say. So we we all see one another. We're, we're less hidden than we think. We, we see one another in a pretty 
uh, truthful way, I think, don't we? You know, you think about a leader or a manager that you've maybe had in your life that you consider that, that wasn't good. Yeah. And you you could you could see them, you know, they couldn't they couldn't hide it. So there's a kind of nakedness that we all have, despite pretending otherwise. And um, I think the chance, and, and there's so many people, so many people, including no doubt lots and lots of people listening to this, who in all sorts of ways, large and small, are leading good lives mm. and are, are examples of, of kindness and thoughtfulness and inspiration and making a difference and we've all got different skills to bring and different ways of doing things and we need that diversity we badly need that diversity so i think you know i saw a lot of, of poor examples of leadership and i one of my observations was that often wasn't of course deliberate it was often in my experience born of ignorance actually not really knowing not really being well informed living in a bubble um, not having exposure to uh, even the even the immediate people around you in your local community or people that you work with, not really knowing much about their lives, perhaps, mm. and certainly not knowing much about the lives of people who might be very different and and, and you know on the other side of the world or even just on the other side of town. Mm. So you know, then what I found is, as if you go out with curiosity and just choose to meet different kinds of people, you find it's very hopeful. I mean, my work is incredibly um, optimistic. If, if I ever get down, I, I smile to myself and say, I just need to get out more. You know, as soon as you get out and spend, one of the problems of the pandemic, I guess, right? You get out and you find great people doing great things. And the world is full of great people doing great things. Most of which, of course, is not sort of reported in the media. So we end up with a very distorted, overly pessimistic and bleak view. I think of our own condition, and and um, that's that's a problem because you need a certain level of belief and hope and optimism and confidence um, and joy in order to make more of it. And so we we kind of need to be in this upward positive spiral, not spiraling downwards with endless doom and gloom. And and so those are some of the things that that are yeah you know. Motivated. You, you kind of mentioned the media, and um, I, I won't take us down that path. But um, mm-hmm. other than to say the uh, place, the, the the way that the media portrays world events, I think uh, you know has so much to answer for in the in the in the division that we that we see and the negativity that we see in our world. But I'm sure you believe the same thing too. Yes. Yes. Um, let's talk about climate, Lindsay. Um, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with Future Stewards and, and Countdown. Yeah, sure. I mean, so one of the one of the benefits of the, of the work that I did for many years, you know, in the earlier years of Leaders Quest, was that I got to spend time in all these different parts of the world. And it's a bit like, on the one hand, you're at you know thirty thousand feet and you're observing a lot of global trends. So I had I got a lot of perspective on big trends. But you're also then diving down deep because I was out in villages and slums and communities and you know all the rest of it, seeing stuff very close up. So really with your, your feet in the soil, as it were. And you can't miss the, the fact that if you spend the time doing that, that we have got massive environmental problems, you know, born of the fact that we have very, very quickly as a species 
gone from, you know, I mean, global populations more than doubled in my lifetime alone. Mm. You know, so we have done this very, very rapid over a few short centuries, you know, rise from one billion to eight odd billion people heading up to nine plus billion people. And then a lot of us, um, you know, through through human ingenuity have have um we've transformed the world, right? In many positive ways. We've improved living standards, we've done, you know, healthcare, life expectancy, doubled, tripled, literally, you know, literacy. I mean, so many positives mm. through our use of science and knowledge and industry and enterprise and 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 business. Um, and so all, most of the world has, has dramatically improved living standards um, in the last 100, 150 years. Uh, so very short in the span of human history. And then most recently, you know, only 50 plus years really have we had big multinationals, certainly on the sort of scale that they exist today. And, um, and actually for that matter, big institutions and nonprofits and so on. So a very, very rapid change, transformation, industrialization, and so forth, technology, very rapid change of, of our world. One of which, you know, one of the outcomes is that has been you know, people living longer, people surviving longer, big, big increase in, in numbers. So we have this, consequently, this big footprint on our earth. And along with all of those kind of rapid upward curves, many of them represent progress, we've got a whole bunch, unfortunately, of upward curves in terms of our impact on the planet. You know, everything from loss of forests, loss of fresh water, acidification of oceans, uh, CO2 in the atmosphere. If you plot those graphs, they all look very, very similar. They're a kind of J-curve, hockey stick, you know, going upwards. Mm. So I had the experience of seeing that stuff in different places firsthand. Um, to give you some examples, being in villages in China, where every 20 years the water runs out and they just abandon the village and move X miles in, a, in another direction and start again. And that sort of cr rapid creep of land that is actually unusable, where people cannot farm and cannot exist. You know, going to, to rivers, the, the river in Mumbai, for example, in, in, in you know, India's huge, uh, huge sort of industrial capital, business capital, where on the outside of the city, you can drink from the river. And by the time it arrives at the, at the sea, the pollutant levels are a thousand times over safe, over safe margins. And people live, consume, swim in that water, click washing that water, you know, mm. uh, utterly disastrous for, in all sorts of ways, including for human health. So I saw a lot of those things in a very visceral firsthand way. And that, took us more and more, my, my colleagues also having same experiences, into building planet and climate. It's not only climate, but there's, there's some wonderful work on, on planetary boundaries, if any of your listeners want to look it up, by a, a brilliant scientist called Johan Rockström mm -hmm. at the Potsdam Institute. Uh, he's one of the authors of the IPCC reports. Those are the climate reports that come out regularly. Um, and you know, it, it maps these different boundaries, uh, biodiversity and, and others that we cannot breach if we want to stay in balance with the earth. And of course, we've breached a number of them, including, including on climate change. And a lot of this stuff then, of course, becomes irreversible. And that's, that's where we're heading right now. So I saw all of this 
And I was had the good fortune to be close friends with a number of people. I had built one way or another relationships with people who were doing, who were leading on climate. Um, an amazing Costa Rican woman called Cristiana Figueres, who led the Paris Climate Agreement on behalf of the UN. She and her colleague Tom River Karnak, uh, another guy called Nigel Topping, who just now led uh, all the work from non-state actors, that's business, cities, civil society, in the run-up to COP in Glasgow. And he's now working towards the Egyptian COP. The, this is the big annual climate meetings that happen yeah. between all countries. Um, so I, I knew all these people and started Future Stewards with them as a collaboration. So Future Stewards is basically just a collaboration between a number of organizations where we support one another, work together, partner on projects, all focused on addressing planetary boundaries and climate, really the question of how we live in harmony and balance with the earth. And, um, you know, in a nutshell, those of us in wealthy countries need to lead. We, we have been the biggest source of the problem, but we're still, we still have you know, footprints that vastly outweigh the poorest people on the planet. The poorest people on the planet are being affected most rapidly. That is where the, the biggest impacts are already being felt. There is a huge justice issue embedded with all of this that we, I think, at our peril ignore. Um, but the other thing I'd say is that this is doable. And, and we tend to leap from indifference to giving up, you know, to hopelessness, missing out the very important middle step of action. And so the work that we're doing is very action focused. We, we two years ago, formed a big partnership with TED mm -hmm. that is called Countdown, and it's about counting down global carbon emissions. We've produced over 100 TED talks focused on climate change. We've had over 1,000 TEDx events you know, in 99 countries focused on climate change, all organized by local organizers, ordinary people that chose to get up and organize a local TED event supported by by ourselves and, and Ted. So we've used in that case, the power of brilliant storytelling to reach people with positive examples of the solutions that we need to get on the internet. Because it, you know, in, in the climate space, our problem is, is kind of the lag in politics and culture between realizing we've got a problem, understanding that we already have, not all, but a lot of the solutions and getting on with the significant, but actually rather exciting changes that we need to make. So, I mean, I would, I would sum up by saying we're on the, in the early stages and on the edge of the most extraordinary time of transformation in human society. And it is going to involve tons of innovation, enterprise and, and huge opportunities, very local and global, and in different ways, everybody can be involved in that. Um, it's our kids, the jobs that they do in the future, very exciting. And we need to put that lens on instead of getting bogged down in, in doom and gloom and despair. Um, this is a time of, of incredible opportunity. And that's the way we need to approach it. That, that's a, a, a beautiful way of pulling all of all of that together that could other you, you're absolutely right Lindsay at times I think people get overwhelmed with a sense of hopelessness and what can I possibly do and I love the sense of optimism that you're injecting into this and that this is doable you know be action focused now I normally ask 
our guests um, as we come to the close um, for a money pearl of wisdom. But I, I don't think that's appropriate with you, Lindsay. What I'd like to do is to ask you what your climate pearl of wisdom might be for us. Yeah, I, I think it would be um, think about what you what gives you joy. Think about what you're good at. Might be a super local thing, not got to be world changing. We change the world by all of us in different ways, making different changes. So think about what gives you joy. Think about what you're good at, and and then how you might apply that in some way. In the in the sort of climate planet space, might be to do with your lo- cleaning up local communities, cleaning up you know local nature spaces might be to do with rallying your village or town or street or school or business and getting others engaged in uh, making changes. You know, if, if, you're, if you're a company, you can go actually to the TED Doc Countdown website and look at some of the things that you can do as a business. Um, get your bit, ask your boss, have you got commitments to, to net zero? Are you busy? Do, that, that's a set of commitments that businesses sign up to and then a path that you follow to address your your footprint. If you're an individual, you can go to the website count-us-in.org and see steps that you can personally take. There's a series of steps that you can take and you can track those steps. All of them are things that, that we can do. You can identify the ones that most apply to you. You can run a competition with, with family members and friends and get others involved. So it's it's Small changes in our own lives, and we may want to make big changes too, but small changes are fine. And it's going to those that we work with, the communities that we're part of, um, and inviting, asking, asking the right questions around what are we doing as a community to put us on the right track in terms of reducing our emissions and being environmentally responsible. The other thing I'd say is, you know, the big goal this decade is that we need to halve, globally, we need to halve our greenhouse gas emissions in the 2020s. Very challenging. If you apply that to yourself and think, well, how could I halve my greenhouse gas emissions this decade? You actually can. You can, you can probably go further. And so breaking it down and personalising it, um, and Countersin is a good website to start with for that. You can identify the, the, the different changes that you can choose to make to make yourself a proactive part of the solution. There's the stacks of wisdom in, in, in those comments, Lindsay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen back and ponder. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm delighted to be able to say that Paradigm Norton, who are our sponsors, um, we're, we're a B Corp and we are very much grappling with the issues about how we get to net zero and a huge number of other initiatives. So it, it can be done. And I, I absolutely get the excitement that sits around it. And, and, and my final question, Lindsay, I normally have this rather frivolous question that I ask people mm-hmm. that what's been your best buy for under £30 in the last year and why? And you can answer that question. But perhaps the question I'd like to ask you is what might be the thing under £30 that we might all buy frequently that would be super helpful from a climate perspective if we changed our habit? Lovely question. I mean... Um, in food, more plant-based meals. So make those choices if you can. Um, 
public transport. Take it if you live in London, put <laughs> in the subway. If you live somewhere else, jump on the bus. Um, so, so there are there are changing your your spend in ways that align with you know cleaner transport with with um, a a more plant based diet. Um, and the other thing to be blunt is. Do you need to buy anything? You know, mm. Do you need? Do I need this item? Mm. So one of the things that we we really need to do is to dematerialize. We have to reduce our consumption. You know, the sort of vast quantities of fast fashion going into, into dumps and things is a problem. So I I think the other piece I'd say is, you know, buy things to last. Um, you and and that needs to become a cultural habit and and kind of a pleasure. Uh, you know, choosing something beautiful and making it last rather than uh, tiring things quickly and uh, chucking them away because because the the energy required to make the all the different items that we surround ourselves is is typically very heavy. The, the footprint on the planet in various different ways for all of these different things is heavy, and we actually do need to consume less. So it's you know making more conscious choices, but also. Um, you know, can you find a way to take pleasure from fewer things yeah. rather than more? Yeah, that's that. I love it. I'm I'm sitting here smiling away. Uh, there's that that is fantastic advice, and I love the idea of buying things of beauty that are built to last, or just keeping things that 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 are that are meaningful to you rather than replacing them regularly. Lindsay, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you speak today. Um, thank you so much for all of the wisdom and information that you've passed on to us. And it's been fantastic to hear your journey. It just goes to, uh, to for me to say thanks once again, Lindsay. Thank you, Ruth. Real pleasure. Thank you. Gosh, there was so much wisdom and so many takeaways in that conversation. Lindsay's view of the world and the humanity we share, along with her optimism to solve so many of the world's issues, is truly inspiring. A great question for us all to ask ourselves, I think, is, do I really need to buy this thing? Or could I upcycle or recycle? Um, do take a look at Lindsay's TEDx speech. Um, it's incredible. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. And also check out TED Countdown uh, 22 that's happening, I think I'm right in saying in May. Again, the link is in the show notes. Now, before you go, a quick tease about my next guest. Now, you might say he's a perfect guest to follow on from Lindsay and indeed for Money Expresso. My guest is Patrick Hunt, the designer of a sustainable and beautiful hand push espresso machine. We talk at length about buying things of beauty to keep. Make sure you don't miss it. Talk to you again soon. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform to subscribe, rate, and review Money Expresso. This helps more people find the podcast so we can get more people thinking differently about their money and life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Now, of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is merely to share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. 
so please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you.